This is Roof English Radio with Darenata, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. Hello, this is Roof English Radio and I'm Darren Adam. Thank you very much for joining me during this festive period. I hope you're having a fantastic one. Today, the first of two special programmes where we take a look back over Roof English Radio and its predecessor, the Roof English Podcast, going right back to the start of 2023. And we'll bring you some clips from across the year. I want to go right back to the very start, actually, for our first clip from the first episode of the Roof English Podcast in 2023, from January of this year, when I went to Gezir to meet the sound artist Kaska Paluch, creator of the Noise on Noises from Iceland online sound map, which is a site, a website that lets you virtually travel around Iceland listening to the sounds of the country. Kaska was there to record some new sounds at Gezir and she explained to me the idea behind the project. The idea behind um, Noise from Iceland was to see basically, um, see in quotes, how does the the most popular places in Iceland, like the one we are in, the Geysir, how do they sound like? Because we know how the, they look like. We've seen many, many, many pictures of them, mm. but the sounds of them are actually quite uh, unknown, I think. Yeah. So, so I was just, you know, asking myself the question: What's the sound we can hear in there? And uh, yeah, I just went there with the microphone. Right when the pandemic um, started and the lockdown started in Iceland. Every place was empty completely, but there were still few people at Gezir. Yeah. So I think that's uh, what shows how popular it is. Even when Iceland is under lockdown, there are still some people <laughs> visiting Gezir. So when you came to Gezir then to record for the map, far fewer people were around, as you say, because of the pandemic. How much of your recordings have become about the noises that other people make? Because Iceland is becoming, of course, well, we've known this for years, a very popular destination for tourists. How difficult is it to get the sound of a place without the sound of all the people in the place? It is very difficult. Uh, although when I started the project, again, uh, lockdown started, I assumed, and I've been thinking of it, uh, from the start that I will actually record all those places with buses people just how they are yeah. um, but uh, the bus is actually well, exactly I mean th this sounds more like a bus station well maybe it's where we're standing I don't know this is where all the buses are coming through but we're gonna make our way up to Gezir now are you hopeful that we're going to get the noise of it as well as the sight of it erupting today Yes, uh, the area uh, is actually quite interesting because there is a lot of bubbling and geothermal sounds. So uh, I hope. Watch out for that bus there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what makes um, field recordings in Iceland extreme. You may get hit by the bus. While we wait, let's play in one of the sounds from the noise map. I was going to ask if you had a favourite noise, but one, one that you think maybe represents the the map the best. I'm gonna take you to the east of Iceland because it's uh, Berlinia and uh, that's the sound of uh, the puffins from Borgarfjordur. It's uh, deep winter and it's freezing. I think it's minus 10 now so it would be nice to listen to the Icelandic summer and sounds of puffins in Borgarfjordur Eistis.
the puffins there from the east of Iceland. Just another one of the sounds that might not be immediately associated with this country. We know what puffins look like, but it's it's important to hear what they sound like too, I guess. <laughs> yes, and uh, it's surprising, I guess. It was surprising to me, and I think it may be surprising to other listeners that how do they sound. To me, they sound like the old men talking to each other, like, yeah, 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 something like this. So it was very surprising mm. to me, and I'm so glad I, I had a chance to, to record that, to catch this. They could be saying anything, couldn't they? Yeah, I don't want to know <laughs> what they think about because it's probably about us and I yeah, don't think yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a nice thing. My guest is Kaska Pulac, who is with me at Gezir as we wait for another eruption, which you're ready to record, so I'm, I'm tempted not to speak too much here. Yes, please. <laughs> it will be really difficult yeah. to edit out. Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> I think we will have to wait again <laughs> because it wasn't. Um, maybe I will go around and. <laughs> yeah, we, we are maybe on the wrong side. Shall we walk around? It is very still today here. It was windy when I drove up, windy when you drove up as well. Iceland's a very windy country. That must be something that causes problems for you. Oh, yes. Um, I did not expect that that much when I started my from Iceland, but now I think. I am having like a PhD of uh, like using some windscreens and other windshields yes. because that's yeah that's uh, the most difficult part of field recordings in Iceland trying to not record just wind How oh, we're talking <laughs> Yeah, that felt a bit more like it, didn't it? The sound of srokur um, as well, yes. I can now uh, go in peace <laughs> and start recording something else. But yeah, that was, that was what I was uh, imagining to have recorded. Kaska Pulic, the sound artist and creator of the Noises from Iceland online sound map, in the very first episode of the Roof English podcast in 2023, back in January. Um, hot on its heels, or maybe cold on its heels, when you consider some of the foods that we discussed, I spoke to Ernisigatherdottir, known as the Dairy Queen of Iceland, but an expert on all manners, all matters, culinary, I would say, about Thori, the month of Thori, the winter month, which is perhaps famous for well, lots of things, but famous maybe for the rather strange foodstuffs which are consumed during this particular month. And, uh, well, she told me more. Obviously, there are some very delicious and some not so delicious, very strange items. Um, but there is one thing. These traditional foods are not only available at this time of year, but also pretty much all year round, although the selection becomes greater at this time of year. So Thorri, it's basically the fourth month of winter. Um, and the foods that we traditionally hail as Thorra foods were everyday foods in the past. What we have to remember when we're talking about them today and we're having big parties and dinners eating these traditional foods kind of celebrating these traditional foods is that you know these were everyday foods mm. in the past 
Um, they can be as wide-ranging as the traditional smoked lamb, which we all know and love, dried fish, uh, various styles of um, black pudding, uh, white pudding. But then you can get some really random things like fermented whale blubber, mm. shark, whey pickled meats, uh, off cuts from the lamb carcass. These kind of yes. cuts, if we think about nose to tail eating, these kind of cuts that are not so and typically eaten. Is that why these foodstuffs were eaten? Maybe not so much these days, but was it about making sure every single part of every single animal was used? Yes, which I think most cultures all over the world have done. I mean, this kind of modern design of, you know, having prime cuts of the animal and almost, let's say, modern lifestyle doesn't allow people to spend the amount of time that they do cooking. Obviously, you know, this has changed a lot. So nose-to-tail eating, it was necessity. It was basically live or die, use everything. I think there are some thori foods which, particularly for people outside of the country, are quite performatively shocking when they hear about them. And one of them is the idea that you would eat testicles pressed into and preserved in whey. That is one of the foodstuffs which is consumed at this time of year, not by everyone, but by some people, with surprising enthusiasm, I would say. Well, I mean, sweetbreads, uh, rams, yeah, rams testicles. Um, I mean, it's not that dissimilar. If you think about head cheese in the UK a pressed gelatinous terrine of the meat off the head of the pig. I mean, this is what we do as well. You use every part and picking the, the, that kind of meat off the actual head of the animal, which has a lot of gelatin, which can also be cooked down from the bones and then pressing it, yes, then you've got a product which is fresh, delicious, yeah. but obviously you need to store it. So um, putting it in whey, yes, it makes it sour, which is a slightly strange... I mean, I don't think there's an equivalent food on the planet. A no. sour <laughs> testicle terrine, if you may. Um, there you go, something for, for you it to think about. Never advertised as that, strangely, <laughs> no, is it? <laughs> no, they use different words for it. Ernie Sigurdardottir, who is the Dairy Queen of Iceland, of course, telling me about Thori, the month of Thori, the foodstuffs which are consumed during that month. Much preparation going on right now, of course, for Thori, which is just a few weeks away. Now, back in May, I went right to the top of the Akranes Lighthouse which was a wonderful sight and definitely worth temporarily getting over my fear of heights to climb right to the top. But the way that it sounded was almost as impressive as the way that it looked. Indeed, the acoustics inside this particular structure have attracted all kinds of musicians for their recordings. I met up with Hilmar Sigvalsson, who keeps the lighthouse open for those who want to see and hear what all the fuss is about. It's a bit windy today, so I hope you can hear what we're saying. But the, the lighthouse being, well, being a lighthouse, it is tall and thin and it's hard to see from the outside that you would get many people in here. Yeah, uh, yesterday I had 60 people from a choir in Reykjavik and uh, a few years ago I had 250 people in the lighthouse in the same time. On different floors, on different yeah, levels. Yeah. OK, so there's a quite a low entrance. You can hear already... Yeah. Listen to that, listen to the echo. I'm just on the ground floor here of the lighthouse. In front of me there is the first of many steps to go up to the next levels. And, and even here the echo is incredible. So it sounds like this when you cl close the door very fast. Okay. It's like this. It's terrifying. 
Goodness. It's fantastic that the the building is being put to such good use and that people can come here and see it and, and hear it and be inside it. We're going to start climbing the stairs then? Yeah. Okay, okay. Here we go. Yeah, okay. I, I want to see if the sound changes. I have been here before, but I can't remember if the sound changes the further up the steps you go. You can see I'm not good on steps, so it's even more, even more of an echo there, isn't there? I can't sing. The only thing I do for my guests is like this, like... like You can almost see the sound. Yeah, or you can do this. That was you slapping your chest very hard. It's, uh, I, I hope you can hear this okay on the recording because the echo is just remarkable. Right, we're very high up now. One more to go. All right. Now, I remember from last time that there is a narrow sort of ladder that takes you right out to the, well, to the outside, which I was not very comfortable about, uh, about going on to, but I've been told I have to do it. Now, the echo has... The echo's gone it's here. Gone. Why, why you, is that? But you can, because there's a uh, small height to the top, but you can make sound from here that everyone can hear all the way down. Okay. You can do like this, like... Wow, okay. What I'm going to ask you to do, Hilmar, is if you, if you can take the microphone there yeah. and just point it down that way towards me as it is just now. Okay. Um, I'm honest, I'm absolutely, I love flying, but I'm terrified of heights and, 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 and ladders. <laughs> so, you know, I think I'm, I keep thinking I'm going to fall over here. I mean, lots of people manage this, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Right. There you go. Okay, yeah. now. You made it. I did. Okay. You wow. Yeah, just to prove I did. Yeah, you made it. <laughs> to prove that I did it. Well, here I am, at the very top of the lighthouse in in Akranes, and it is a stunning view. So it was worth <laughs> worth going up for the view. Um, yeah. So there is a photograph being taken by Elmar to prove that I did this. So the view out here is out towards Kvalfjelda. You can see the town of Akranes directly ahead, and you can see all of it. You can see all the way to Keflavik in this direction, on the south. Yeah. And so you can see Reykjavik is over here, and the mountains, Esja, Akrafjall, and uh, Skarsheide, and Hapnafjall. The view it ends in the in Snæfellsjökull in uh, Snæfellsnes Peninsula. It's a very clear day, of course, as well, which helps, doesn't it? You won't always get a view as clear no, as this. No, no, no. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we can see the see the glacier. What do people say when they make it up here? Uh, the first word is wow. The sights and the sounds of the Akroness Lighthouse. This is Roof English Radio taking a look and a listen back to some of our shows from 2023. In May, I was at 
a UNESCO World Heritage Site, a must-visit for travellers and Icelanders alike. And there's a lot going on at Thingvellir National Park, the site of Iceland's first parliament, dating back nearly 1,100 years, but also, and goodness, hasn't this proven to be of interest this year, the geology of the place is absolutely fascinating, right at the point where the European and American continents are slowly and literally pulling apart. I met with Todd V. Stefan Jonsson, who's an interpretive planner at Thingvellir National Park, for a deep dive back into the past. Todd V., the first time I came here was 1998. There was much less in terms of facilities. We can talk about the, the visitor centre that's now here and all the visitors that you get, but... Fundamentally, this site is about the history. It's about what happened here a thousand years ago, isn't it? Oh, yeah. When the National Park was established in 1930, it was done in the 1,000-year anniversary of the Althingi, or the Parliament. And it was mainly for historical reasons, mm. due to the historical importance. And as this was the birthplace, we can say the birthplace of the nation or the country. Yeah. Um, because the 930, uh, the assembly, I think, was established here. And this is also one of the main reasons uh, I think that it became part of UNESCO in 2004. That is the cultural significance of Thingvellir for Iceland. And also its connection to the Icelandic culture and saga. Uh, that all come more or less together here at Thingvellir. And these are all the reasons this is a national park and a protected area. But then alongside it comes a beautiful nature. Yes. yes. And then the, we can say the natural venue that combines here and gives this kind of amphitheater for yeah. people that used as an assembly site. The significance here is that we're standing on or very close to the site of the world's longest continuously operating parliament, essentially. Obviously, the Icelandic parliament, the Althingi, is now uh, physically located in central Reykjavik. But the significance of this is that you can trace that parliament all the way back to the law-making and the decisions that took place here a thousand years ago. Yeah, and and the, the knowledge that we have of the old parliament comes both from the Graukaus, the old law book, and also, well, even though the Icelandic sagas are written 200 years after the events, they give still some well, evidence of how it might have operated. But what we have been trying to describe is that this was not a unique kind of phenomenon. This was a part of a trend that was the, those settlers who came here from Europe and the British Islands, they brought with them this tradition of assembly. So we have a connection to assemblies all over, we can say, Northern Europe and Scandinavia. And that, I think, actually increases the significance of Thingvellir as a connection to other assemblies, both in well, Europe, also in other minor assemblies that were uh, distributed all over the country. But to have, to decide to have one central assembly for one country yeah. is, uh, you can say, a major phenomenon and uh, actually a decision that they had to make and also sacrifices to come here every summer for two weeks at a time. Now... This wasn't a democratic parliament, but very few parliaments were a thousand years ago. How were the lawmakers selected? Uh, we know some of it, some we don't, but it seems to be that they decide to have one central parliament and probably the families that decided on it and, and came together, they then, what they had, who, who sat in the law institution, the Lögrétta, the law court, they were called Godar. They were 36 to begin with, and later on they became 48. And 
you were able to become a Kodi, either you bought the right, someone gave it to you, or you inherited it. And this is probably how it evolved through, uh, through time. And you were actually able to have more rights. You were able to have two Kodors or, or, or three or even more. And that just happened in the 13th century. Then we have few chieftains with more rights. We can see how the power balance shifts with devastating results in the 13th century. An incredibly lengthy history, of course, to discuss as we stand here in 2023, but you really can feel that connection to the events that took place, the laws that were made, the discussions that took place a millennia ago. The story and the history of Thingvellir National Park and the stories that we heard in Siglifjörður this year maybe don't go back quite as far, but certainly to a point in Iceland's past which doesn't really feel like we're going to see again. Siglifjörður in the north of Iceland, about a hundred or so years ago, was the world's most famous herring town. For years, the entire life of the town centred around the herring catch and herring processing. And at one point, herring exported from Siglifjörður accounted for one-fifth of the nation's total exports. Now, there's a wonderful place that you can visit that brings all of this to life. It's the Herring Era Museum. And I met up with Daniel Peter Danielson, who's in charge of collections at the museum. Here is a display case with the tins that the herring was sold in, the cans that you might have seen sardines being packed in cans, such as these with the key to turn the metal back and open up the tins. But how far afield did the herring from Siglifjörður go? I can see some Russian writing on here and some other languages too. Yeah, it, well, um, our biggest buyers uh, of herring were uh, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, uh, uh, Germany, uh, Russia, and uh, USA. So the herring from Iceland went, went uh, all over, basically. And a lot of it from this town. Uh, yes, we have numbers. We can see in our, in our records that uh, the herring industry provided uh, around 44% of all Iceland's export at its best. And half of it came just from this town. So you can see how massive this industry was. So that's a fifth of the economy then, pretty much. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And that's that's a bigger percentage than tourism is now. So that is extraordinary. And for half of that, as you say, to come from one town is quite incredible. There's an accordion here, which is not, (laughs) not an item I necessarily expected to see the herring fishing that went on and all the processing, did that lead to music and song? Yeah, we have a lot of songs uh, related to the herring. And, uh, I mean, uh, during uh, those years, uh, there were dances every night. Mm -hmm. I mean, people needed to have fun along with uh, all the work they were doing. Yes. So there are a lot of songs uh, that are related to the herring. And uh, and this must have been a great time to be a, a musician. Yeah, well, I'm looking here at photos of a variety of bands and artists. There's a band up in the top left there playing the uh, accordion, and we've got, I suppose you might call them beat combos. The 1940s, 1950s represented here. Yeah. And this music lives on, doesn't it? We sometimes uh, have a, a, a concert here, and we are playing uh, the songs that are our, our songs. You can, yes. Yeah, like songs related to the herring and, uh, and the old days. 
So it lives on and hopefully it will keep living. The Herring Era Museum in Sieglefjörde. Highly recommended if you're in the town. If you're not in Sieglefjörde, I highly recommend a visit to the town so that you can visit it. When I was in North Iceland, I also went to a place near Akureyri, which I think provided for me one of the most fun experiences of the entire year. I went to Gleisebær, which is near Akureyri, to meet, at the time, let me get a, get the numbers right on this, I think, because the puppies were just puppies then. Yes, I think 17 or 18 adult huskies and a further four puppies, the hard-working huskies at Go Husky, which is an Icelandic family-owned company owned by Gunnar and Maria. It offers all-year-round husky tours of the surrounding area. But that, of course, is not all. As you'll hear in this, the hair of the huskies, and there is a considerable amount thereof, is spun by Gunnar and then knitted by Maria and turned into a variety of all kinds of gloves and hats and other wonderfully warm items. So I met the dogs... And I met the pups at Go Husky in Gleisebær. I figured when I took my first guest in the sled ride, I was preparing the sled, the dogs were in front of it, howling from excitement. They were like, oh, let's go, let's go. Uh, my guest was looking at me and he was like, are you serious? <laughs> the look in his eyes. So please have a seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you ready? I was trying to scream, uh, you know, because of the noise from the dogs. Uh, yeah, I guess. Went off the brakes, go hike! And the dogs, they're like, oh, 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 hear the hike! <laughs> Close the mouth and <laughs> start pulling. I thought they were going to burst into life there when you said that, but they, but they didn't anyway. Not at this point. But uh, my guest in the sled, you know, as soon as they took the burst out, we were in a woodland, he was like, oh! I was standing behind him. Yes. <laughs> and this is it. I've been doing it more than 100 times by now, uh, taking my guest in a sled ride. I always wait for this wow factor. Uh, it always comes at one, one point or another, you know. My guests go like, wow. And I still, I always go with them, kind of. Yeah. yeah. That's my kick. Yeah. Taking. I guest in a, in a not in a, in a thrilling race but on a slow sled ride gliding on snow mm. inside of a woodland or the countryside just in the nature mm -hmm. being with my dogs it's also worth saying this is the other part of the story and this is what caught my attention it's caught a few people's attention they're earning the the keep not just by pulling the sleds but you have between the two of you found a way to take their fur their hair essentially yeah and spin that and knit that. Well, we've been married for more than 20 years. She's been yeah. knitting the whole time. It seems like uh, it's a tradition in Iceland, knitting. It seems like half the nation is, is, yes. is knitting Lopapesa, Utlasoka mm. uh, from the Shipu. So we're spending our nights over the telly. Uh, she's knitting and I'm stuffing me with snack. Uh, 
then, when we started this company, uh, getting guests to our home, mm-hmm. well, 18 husky dogs, they do shed a lot. Yes. yes. Uh, I'm cleaning the floors, mopping the floors every day. In the shedding season, I'm mopping twice a day, at least, you know. Uh, eventually, even I got start thinking, you know, two plus two, uh, with all the people in Iceland, Nearly this much, someone has to make the threats, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, if they can make uh, threats from sheep wool, even though the hairs are longer, could it be possible to do it with the dogs? Started asking around, and yeah, there was quite some people who had tried, you know, yeah. spinning and knitting dog hairs, cat hairs, horses, you know, lots of. Uh, Mm-hmm. Experiments. I found a woman here in 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 Eyjafjörður, uh, Dingjan Listus. Uh, she was teaching spinning, and I went there on a course, learned to mm-hmm. spin, bought myself a spinning wheel, and started spinning. And you'd never done this. Before. I've never done anything. I, I know how to fasten a button. <laughs> I could, you know, yeah. close a, a gap in my socks. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's it. I've never done anything, but uh, uh, as soon as I learned it, I started spinning the the dog hairs. Now I just spin the dog hairs, and and we're spending the nights over the telly, me spinning, she's knitting. I'm not eating a smut snack, so it's a bonus. (laughs) (laughs) My hands are occupied. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, uh, uh, the hairs on the floor, they go to the bin. I throw them away. But I am brushing two to four dogs a day. The dogs would love being brushed. Do they enjoy that? that. I mean, that's like a a, a one-on-one. I'm spending maybe 15, up to half an hour with one dog, just cuddling, stroking, uh, and brushing. And I'm getting the hair. We are getting the the time together. Uh It's it's, it's a win-win. Maria, what, what do you make of the material that you're given then so that the dogs shed and are brushed and, and Gunnar is then is spinning that hair what's the quality of the wool like is it wool what we call it I suppose hair yeah we, we kind of just call it husky wool um yeah. husky yarn if you can say um husky yarn, like yeah it. well the thing is uh, what I've been noticing since Gunnar started spinning it has been changing a lot well changing some uh, at first it was really really stiff and yeah. hard to knit with mm-hmm. uh actually Not now yeah, not as soft at all. And now what I'm spinning with now is it's kind of softer in a way. He's getting better, so the material is actually getting better. Once it's washed, it won't have the scent of the dogs. But would would they be able to tell if someone was wearing an item that they've made? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. No idea. Yeah. They haven't no. reacted yet. Then they no. haven't. Okay. No. Okay. No. Well, I'm wearing a hat when I'm sledding. I'm wearing a hat made of them. But what happened now was the dogs upstairs, they heard something happening somewhere. Oh, what's happening? We're missing something. Still going, yeah, and you can hear it go from one to the other. Yeah, so they started, and then probably the dogs outside heard that. Oh, what's happening inside? We're missing something. (laughs) And then they aggravate each other, you know, back and forth. There could be a dog sleeping, like uh, talking in your sleep. You have a dog inside, (laughs) and he's asleep makes three, four bucks. Someone outside hears it. What's happening? Oh, oh, oh. The dog's inside, hear that. And all of a sudden, we have 
18 dogs howling <laughs> all over because one was barking in his sleep. So here you are racing the dogs. You've got them out on the sleds, you're doing the spinning. But if we go back just a couple of years in your life, Gunnar, we find you with a, another hat on, your rock star years. Yeah, like, you didn't know I was a rock star? No. No? No. Well, I was destined. 16 years, I was in a band. I was, you know, going New York, London. The world was waiting. Uh, I don't know why, but it never happened. Nothing happened. I didn't get to be a rock star. Now I'm here, 50 plus, in the countryside of Iceland, and I have this. The uh, spinning wheel? You know, the spinning wheel in Icelandic, this is a rocker, you know? So when I'm spinning, I'm rocking, yeah? Started rocking again. Then, uh, a year ago, mm -hmm. I got roof. I got a mail for them. Are you really spinning and knitting, you know, from dog hairs? <laughs> Just started. I was like, yeah. Oh, could we come and interview you? Quite shy about it, uh, but okay, they came. We were in the news. Yeah. I was in the news all over Iceland. Rocking. Must be famous. So finally. Rockstar. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and and Roof English, of course. We, and now we, we, we have we, this. We, we I, I have... broadcast that worldwide. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm getting more and more fame <laughs> as a rockstar, kind of. Kind of, yeah, yeah. So uh, we, have tons of, we have tons of the rockstars, you know, yeah. all over the world. I am the special kind. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to think, if you, if you had been successful at 16, if you had gone to New York and London and been on all of those stages, you might not be here now. No, what a waste. What a waste. What a waste. <laughs> I mean, this is, for me, this is the life. We have a saying in Iceland, like, uh, he's totally gone to the docks. His life is ruined. I'm gone to the docks, obviously. But in my case, it's a good sign. Also, during 2023, as well as heading north, I went east. I was in Stuvjafjörður in East Iceland at an absolutely beloved attraction in the east of the country. This immense display of stones and minerals that takes up a huge garden and most of a house, indeed, in the East Iceland town of Stuvjafjörður. This is Petra's stone collection, started halfway through the last century by Petra Sveinsdottir. She sadly passed away in the 2010s, but I met her granddaughter, Una Svensdottir, to find out more about this remarkable collection. Just closing up after another day of visitors here, just after five o'clock, was today a busy day? Well, no, it was rather a quiet day, but it has been quite busy yeah. the okay. previous days. Well, let's talk about the collection, because it is quite astonishing, and it started with your grandmother, Petra, deciding just to gather stones from the nearby area? As we tell the story, uh, we say Petra started to get interested in stones uh, as a child. She was of uh, poor parents. Her parents were just ordinary Icelanders. Uh, she was born in 1922. Mm. Uh, her father was a sailor and uh, they had livestock. And um, She didn't have many toys. She went to the beach, picked up beautiful stones, yeah. seashells, and st uh, all kinds of stuff she picked up to play with as, yeah. as toys. And that was a lifelong love yeah. <laughs> of stones. <laughs> That's how it started. <laughs> well, let me just describe what we can see. This was her house in front of us, which is now partly a museum as well, which we'll get into. But the garden 
it's a beautiful garden and no shortage of stones. You probably get this question a lot. How many stones have been collected here? Uh, I have no idea. (laughs) But it must be tens of thousands. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's an absolutely vast number. And they are all individual and all beautiful. And many of them are crystalline. I mean, did these all come from around here? Most of them come from around here. Really? Uh, Our mountains are so rich in, of uh, of beautiful stones, yeah. quartz crystals, zeolites, all kinds of stones. And I asked you before we switched on the microphone where the first stone is, and that isn't known. We don't know where the <laughs> collection began, but we do know which was Petra's favourite stone, and that's the one we're going to look at, I think. Mm, yeah. Um, Petra's favourite stone is a uh, geode, agat, chalcedon and quartz crystal. And we are looking at it right now, the, the round shape in front of us. This is the one directly in front of us here? Yeah. Three types of quartz. It's um, chalcedon, uh, chalcedony, agate and the quartz crystal, the lining inside. And you can see what looks like stones inside the stone, a sort of giant spherical shape. And inside there are more what look like further stones inside. Mm. And it looks pretty heavy as well. Yeah, I don't know how heavy it is, but uh, I I would not want to carry no. it on my back from <laughs> from a mountain cliff. But, but, but your grandmother didn't do that on her own either, did she? No, she uh, <laughs> she was she was strong, but she was also clever. So yes. she went for help when she needed one. God, it must have been a lot of help because there are stones absolutely everywhere, and they're all of a decent size. Yes, she um, it was. Uh, not uncommon for her to carry 40 kilos of rocks on her backs and that that hurts I can tell you I have tried (laughs) it's it's not comfortable Petra's stone collection and I'm delighted to say that I did add to the original stone or stones that we bought on our first visit in 1998 so we now have a third stone from Petra's stone collection which has pride of place in our kitchen in Kopovoya. This is Ruve English Radio. I'm Darren Adam and another chance to hear some of the highlights from 2023 coming up tomorrow on Ruve English Radio. There is more from Ruve English with all the news from Iceland in English at ruv.is slash English. Roof English Radio is daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof.